Thank you for listening and watching the Mind Meld Podcast with Dave Perry. I am Dave Perry. This is the Mind Meld Podcast. This is our first episode ever over Zoom, which is fun. I think we're in a, a, a good position to be able to get some uh, some quality audio recording out of the uh, the setup that we have here. And I wanted to be able to do this today because we have a very cool guest who is in Texas with me, but in a, in a different city, Texas is a gigantic place. Uh, we are joined by Dr. Rob Kelly. Uh, Dr. Rob, do you mind if I, uh, first of all, should I, is it cool to call you Dr. Rob? Yes. I won't okay. call me not. Yep. All right. Sounds good. Do you mind if I just uh, read your short bio here uh, on your oh, websites to, okay. Please so do. I'm going to just give you an introduction that way. And then I just want to dive into all things about what you're doing out there with uh, helping people during some pretty crazy times. But um, so this is from your website, robkelly.com. But Rob Kelly, PhD, the recovery expert, was born in Manchester, England. He grew up in a family of musicians and developed a strong love for music at an early age. He was performing on stage at the age of nine. During his early 20s, he worked at the elite and influential Abbey Abbey Road Studios as a session musician in London, which is definitely something I want to dig into a little bit with you if you're cool with that. Uh, Addiction was always close to his heart, as Dr. Kelly was born into a family that had a history of alcoholism. He began drinking and using drugs at an early age, but he managed to stay on a path of success, moving to Oxford in the early 1980s to pursue a PhD in psychology at the prestigious University of Oxford. He continued to drink heavily during his time in Oxford, but still managed to complete his doctorate studies, graduating with a PhD in psychology in 1984. Even though he was a heavy drinker, no one would have predicted that he could be living on the streets of Manchester homeless and alone. He recalls the night where he had a staggering revelation when it came to his own alcoholism. It could later it would later coin two of his most popular catchphrases, which is the problem is our drink is not our drinking, it is our thinking and a step out of the disease and into the solution, which I really like both of those want to talk about that as well. Uh, Dr. Kelly was standing on a street corner one night in Manchester, and his body was shaking from alcohol withdrawal. He stood in front of a liquor store, trembling, desperately waiting for the store to open. He knew that as soon as he drank that first sip of alcohol, he would feel relief. As soon as the liquor store opened, he rushed into the store. The clerk grabbed a bottle of vodka from the shelf and placed it in a brown paper bag in front of him. As he lifted the bag in his hands, his, his trembling stopped. His body stopped shaking, and his mind rested at ease. He had not even taken that first sip. It was just the promise of alcohol that stopped his shaking and eased his restless mind. Uh, that is really phenomenal. And you call that the aha moment, correct? Yes. Yeah. That's- it's the time when I realized that he wasn't the alcohol. And that's what set me off onto. I, I mean, when it comes to the alcoholic brain, the addictive brain, uh, I don't think there's anyone who's done more research than I have. I've spent the last 25 years. I went back to college and got a second PhD with a behavioral science because we missed it, missed that part. So yeah, I'm very, very, very intrigued with the mind and that all started it off. Absolutely. I, I'm curious, um, you know, that almost not to make light of it at all, but like that premise almost seems like something on like an HBO or sh- show or something like, like I would certainly hope that if I was dealing with any sort of struggle that I'm dealing with a professional who's not only an expert in their field, but can actually like empathize with what I am like physically, emotionally, chemically, everything going through. Do you feel like you have, um, are you in like a special subsect of professionals that have gone through this struggle themselves? And does that position you to be able to help people better? 100%. I mean, I always tell people all the time, if you've got a problem with drugs or alcohol, and you want to see a counselor, make sure that he has a problem with drugs and alcohol, or had done. Nobody understands. Alcoholism and addiction is the, is the number one misunderstood illness in the world. Alcoholism is definitely the only self-diagnosed illness in the world. So 10 DUIs, guys, does not make you an alcoholic, unfortunately. So when you go <laughs> okay. through all the stuff and the struggles and the loss of kids and the homelessness and <clears throat> the, the violence and all that stuff, you realize that when you sit in front of somebody, it seems that no matter what they're going through, I can identify because I've either done it or I've worked with some of this that's uh, gone through that. So yeah, a big, big connect because the mirroring part of the brain is what, what it's all about on a daily basis. So sure. you connect with, with somebody, you connect for a reason. And it's the mirroring part of the brain. So when somebody sits in front of me and I tell them a little about my story, they can identify, I can identify, we're off to the races. It would take a normal therapist at least three months to get to where we get to in 30 minutes. 
that, that, I mean, that's, our, that's our, the connection we have. That's incredible. I'm inclined to think that um, even if the average medical professional did have these personal struggles, that maybe they wouldn't be as ready to share that with patients and that they would want to focus more on like, I'm a certified professional. I have X amount of years of experience. I've helped X, Y, Z amount of people. And that even if they did have that struggle, I completely agree with you. I would want to know that they can actually relate with what I'm going through, not just because of textbooks or what they've seen with other people. I want to know that they can relate to the demons that I'm currently fighting. Do you feel like it would be uncommon for a medical professional to admit that? And would you recommend people seeking help that they actually inquire about this when they get a chance to connect with them? I think so. I think when if I have a therapist, the first thing I ask her when I go to see her the very first time is, have you had a problem with alcohol and drugs in the past? And she said, yeah. Let me tell you about my story. So what a lot of people do in, in, the, in the 21st century, especially 2021, is most uh, therapists, licensed therapists, are dropping the license and, and becoming a coach. <clears throat> the reason is two, twofold. One is because you can get more involved with the patient and say, hey, listen to my story. And the second is you can't do telehealth. As a psychologist, I can't practice in Florida unless I get a, a license in every state, which is not allowed. So many people are doing that so they can identify more. So if, if you just want to stop taking drugs and you know you think you're, you're taking it too much or you're abusing alcohol, normal therapists are fine. But if you're an alcoholic, a full-blown alcoholic or a full-blown drug addict, then you need, you need that connection. <clears throat> and most, most, most people I know, I know I do, and most doctors I know and, and uh, coaches, uh, when somebody comes in struggling to, to, to the practice, they will identify and go, oh, yeah, well, you know, I kind of went for a little bit of that myself. And it's, that's all it needs to get a connection because people do not want to tell other people about addiction. It's, it's the quiet, horrible disease, yeah. you know, and uh, slowly but surely we're coming out. And one of, my, one of my biggest things when I came over to the U.S. Uh, 15 years ago <clears throat> was let's get it out of the closet, guys. And I've worked with some of the biggest movie stars, footballers, actors, TVs, whatever it is, multi-billionaires, doctors, scientists, surgeons, you know, and I, whenever they can, I always say, would you come out and just write a little message on my website? Sure. And we used to do that because more people are coming out because yeah. you can bet when that surgeon went back working again, he, uh, he identified with three other more people that should be, it was drunk in the, in the operating room. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Would, yeah. He would mentor and that's how it goes. That's the way it works. Sure. I quick, quick note. So this is the first time that you and I have had a face-to-face -face conversation and um, it occurred to me. So I would say a hundred percent of the times when I do interviews, I drink and um, I, I do have alcoholics in my family. Uh, I personally don't feel like I struggle with anything in that realm, but I do enjoy drinking when I have uh, either these conversations or even, you know, like I, you know, casually drink on the weekends. It gives you that kind of like liquid courage, loosens you up yeah. or whatever. And it's just, it was an interesting feeling that I had that basically I felt it would have been inappropriate to drink during this no, not conversation. Not oh, okay. So, okay. So I, I'm curious about like, no, yeah. okay. <laughs> that's, well, no, that's another method as well with, you know, if you're still struggling from alcoholism and it's best to stay away from alcohol for the first week or so until you get well or start to get well. My my uh, my biggest bugbear is when people don't drink in front of me. I'm like, sure. what the fuck are you doing? He's like, well, I didn't want to, you know, you might. I'm not, I ain't going to. Look, I'm allergic to it. Yeah, are you allergic to anything? I'm allergic to cheese. Good. That means I can't eat cheese in front of you. Sure. That's stupid. <laughs> same with alcohol. The same with alcohol. Sure. The compulsion to destroy myself has been taken away. That's all it is. You know, I love my wife drinks. You know, not much and not only many care, but she drink. I mean, I love it when people drink around me because that's your deal. You know, if you've got alcoholism in the family, it can skip a generation or two. You know, if you if you can drink successfully without stabbing somebody or killing somebody or battering your wife, then, you know, if you get off of work next morning and, and, and go to work and be that good guy, then hell yeah. I, you know, I wish I could do that. I really do. Sure. You know, Absolutely. In my early days, but I can't because when I take the first drink, you'll find me three months later in Spain. <clears throat> that's just the way my mind works. I black, I black just, out from print one. And, and there are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people that share that struggle, right? Yes. Yes. I'm curious where you, um, where do you draw the line between um, it's your completely normal, healthy, whatever the word you want to use is an acceptable level of 
social drinker? And then like, what, what are the telltale signs and what are they associated with? Is it frequency, duration, whether you drink by yourself, it's uh, you're blacking out, it's quantity. What, like, where do you draw the line of, I think this is a problem now? Well, the gateway drug is trauma. So I wanted to repeat that again. Sure. So uh, you, you have to look at yourself. There's, there's a defining line between, and I did, I went through the normal drinking, heavy drinking, abuse, and then alcoholism, because every alcoholic that's born that way will do that. <clears throat> so it's about looking at your traits, looking at your trauma, looking at you as a person, and honestly asking yourself, you know, if you have to ask somebody, do I have a drink problem? You probably have a drink problem. So just cut down, try and be sensible, and then get back to it. You know, the, the, the worst thing in the world you can do is not drink because you think you have a drink problem only to find out when you're 50 or 60 that you don't, you know? Can, can you elaborate on that? That's curious. Yeah, so I have a few people that came to me and they, your dad used to go to Alcoholics Anonymous, so they did. Dad was an alcoholic, so they thought they were and dad was convincing them because he wanted someone to go to AA with them. And he came to me after about six or seven years. He was only like 25 when he came and he said, I don't know whether I'm an alcoholic or not. <clears throat> I said, well, can you go for a beer now and go home and leave it for a week? And he said, yeah. I said, well, you're probably not alcoholic then. He could become a very successful guy, drinks on the weekends, has a few glasses of wine with his wife during the week. I mean, this is what it's about. I mean, you're born this way or you're not. Sure. You know, there's no, you know, a warning off the doctor does not make you an alcoholic. Again, the only self-diagnosed illness in the world. Nobody can tell you're an alcoholic. It's not how much we drink. It's not the time we drink. What happens when that chemical gets into my body? I have a reaction from both from the central nervous system and the brain. You see, I'm not allergic to alcohol. I'm allergic to the ethanol in alcohol that reacts differently to my brain, just like a normal reaction would be cheese. You might come out in hives. You might get sick. I can't stop drinking until I'd be taken to hospital or a psych ward. It's the same, it's the same difference. So there are, there are different traits that, that you can actually look for. But, hey, chill out, guys. Don't worry, you know, because I'm on the show talking about alcoholism. You don't have to question yourself. You, sure. you know deep down inside if you're drinking too much. You know. It's very interesting. I, I feel like um, a lot of people come from uh, a pretty uninformed or misinformed perspective on this. I'm curious what your perspectives are on people who come from um, one or two like violently alcoholic, like like unquestionable. These people are a fucking mess and they err on the side of caution. Like, is it would you recommend like just uh, removing that from your life if possible, or should you not make that assumption that you are going to have this gene? Like, how do you recommend navigating those waters? So most of the problems in life uh, come from trauma as a child. Okay. So if you're seen in this household, there's, there's a good chance. The first thing we need to do is start dialogue as, as early as eight or nine years old. Educate, because if I knew I was the alcoholism in the family, I would never have touched it. And the guys, by the way, the alcoholics and addicts who never took alcohol or drugs, never even touch it, they're the guys running Google and Apple, by the way. They're the fucking smartest smart guys in the room because that's right. the addictive brain. They always yeah. want more. The only difference is I took the first drink. So I need to get that communication going. Girls ask me all the time, why did I always attract the bad guys? I go, what? Well, he seemed a nice guy. And then all of a sudden we got, was dating and we got engaged. And then he's an alcoholic. And then he beat me last week. He's like, let's go back to trauma. What, what happened when you was a kid? What happened? Well, I saw my dad beat my mom. There's a reason for that. There's a reason why you attract them guys. Yeah. All the time. If you, if you see your mom uh, getting battered most nights with your dad, what happens with the mirroring part of the brain is that becomes comfortable because you get used to it. So what happens is well, you, you, you are drawn to a relationship like that because the mirroring part of the brain goes, hey, this is normal. I've seen this all my life. It's normal. Yeah. It's fucking not normal. But that's how the brain works. Yeah. So you really have to look at trauma holds the key to everything that we do. You know, why do you keep going for that job? Why do why don't you want to succeed? Why are you scared of failure and success? Why do you do it's all the trauma what the past? But the thing is about trauma is it's carried in the subconscious brain and the central nervous system. Now you won't know about the central nervous system until you collapse. But if you've ever seen a deer hit on the side of the road and not been killed, it will stay motionless for about five seconds. Yeah. Then it will jump up, then it will shake violently for another five seconds, then it'll run on. That car crash does not affect that deer for the rest of his life. But as humans, we don't do that. So we keep all this stuff like down, keep it down, don't talk about it, keep it down, trauma. And then what happens, it's like a zip file on a, on a computer screen. It's there for like years. You go, oh, I wonder what's in there. And you press it and all this shit comes at you at once. Yeah. And you can't handle it. And the only comfort blanket I knew was alcohol. Because I saw alcohol in the house every single day. 
we had a freaking full-size bar in the house. You know, we used to live on the project. We still had a bit, we still had a bar, but then yeah. the bar cost more than more than the house. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's just crazy. What about people who um I know I know people who have who are in the program have, have either gotten treatment or like have accepted that they definitely need treatment because this dominates their entire life. Um, but what about people who it's not a matter of the inability to control or maybe it is. But like what about people who have they only drink on weekends, maybe they skip a weekend, whatever. It's nothing about like frequency or drinking at home by themselves or anything like that. But when they drink, even if it's once a month, they turn into this like. Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type thing where they are a fucking nightmare. Uh, I know some people like that. And like, what, what do you attribute that to? Like, why is it that I am able to get pretty hammered and not become an abusive asshole? And the guy next to me who maybe even is like a similar size, we go drink for drink and he turns into a fucking nightmare. Like what's happening there? Jekyll and Hyde is very interesting. You said that because that's what we become. So the guy drinking once a week who gets like that or once a month gets like that will, will, will over time become uh, every night and he'll do that every night, become crazy. So again, we go back to our lineage, we go back to our trauma, we go back to, you know, what we see, what we've been through, what our father is, what his father was like. It all carries down to the actions that we do today. So yeah, it's, uh, <clears throat> alcohol should take you to a place where you're enjoyment. Now I know a lot of people as teenagers get violent, they like fighting and a lot of stuff. That wears off as you're going into your twenties and thirties. Sure. And if it doesn't, then again, we have to look at what's going on here. There's something going on. Uh, but most people are violent because they're acting out what they've seen. So let me give you a little scenario. Yeah. <clears throat> how we act out and, and how we think familiar places is our home. A girl went missing in Manchester back in the day. Uh, 17-year-old girl was snatched off the streets by this guy, drove away, manhunt, huge in England, couldn't find her. About three weeks later, scaled it back, and then everyone thought she was dead. <clears throat> Six or seven months later, this policeman was behind a car, had a bashed-in signal light indicator. So he pulled him over. Now, in England, you don't need search warrants or anything like that. Well, not back in the day. I'm not sure now. I've been away for so long. Sure. So he searched his car, and he found a stolen screwdriver. So again, if you find screw, uh, stolen items in the vehicle, you can go back to the house legally and search the house. What else did sure. you got? You, know, yeah. you, you haven't just stole this a one-off. So they go back to the house, and again, they're finding stuff. Still got the tags on it. No receipts, you know, uh, yeah, I stole that, I stole that. And they come across this box, four foot high, about seven foot wide. And he said, you've got more stuff in there. I, we know you've got more stuff in there. And he said, no, I, no, that's not mine. I don't want to do it. So they smashed the lock off and they opened the top and there was the girl that had been snatched seven months prior. She was battered. She was bruised. He used to get her oh, out every God. day, abuse her, feed her, put her back every day for seven months. He did that. So they opened the box and she was there, battered and bruised, but she was alive. And she held her hand up and the policewoman took her hand and helped her step out the box. What's the first thing she did, Dave? I, she, got back I, in, she got back in the box. Oh, wow. That's how our mind processes these things. So same thing with uh, prisoner wars, especially yes. in, in Japan. These are the things you do. You, the, the, the horrible situation. And this is why abused wives stay in the situation. That's the only thing. They, what else are they going to do? They don't dream anything else. Because this is what we're stuck in. And it's the same with addicts and alcoholics, um, is we don't know anything else. So we go back to our comfort blanket. My comfort blanket, once again, was alcohol every single time. And when you cross over to full-blown alcoholism, you know, they talk about triggers. There's no such thing as triggers when you're an alcoholic. You'll drink when it's raining, when it's sunshiny, when it's night, when it's day. It doesn't make any difference. You will drink because you can't help it. And when you look at the brain as a whole, the hypothalamus, which is part of the brain, this is new sure. research. Uh, they, it tells us to drink. It tells normal people to drink water and eat food. Yeah. It tells the alcoholics to drink alcohol. I can go days and weeks without food or water. Sure. So you're up against your brain. So knowledge is key. Knowledge of what? You need a full knowledge of what you're suffering from. You ask most people what's an alcoholic, they'll tell you blatantly, somebody who drinks too much alcohol, somebody who can't control the alcohol. It's got nothing to do with alcohol. Well, 1%. Yeah. All to do with the mind and the trauma and the journey you've had. And the, and the and what you've been brought up in the surroundings, you know, all the family unit. That's that's what it's and then, and we're finally getting into now 20, 2022, new research that will uh someday <laughs> cure alcoholism. Sure. Because we all start with the alcohol. Yeah, yeah. No. <clears throat> so I'm curious about your perspective on this is related to a, a, a family member of mine, not by blood, that has since passed. 
that I, I wanted to bring up with you. Um, what does the term functional alcoholic mean to you? Is that an oxymoron? Is that a real thing? Do you And do you feel like that is a separate category than the person who, uh, you know, completely blacks out and, and, you know, maybe the cravings are the same, but one person is able to like function to a certain acceptable level and the other person yeah. is just blacks out. If you're a functional alcoholic, then you're a full-blown alcoholic that can function right now. That's all it means. And yeah, it's real. I went through it for, for quite a long time. So alcoholics don't just drink straight, straight away from alcoholics. They go through uh, normal drinking, heavy drinking, abuse, and alcoholism. That the stages you have to go through. So a functional alcoholic is somebody who holds down a nine to five job or, you know, holds down a family, but he's drinking during the day and, you know, yeah. still getting away with it. So that there is such a thing, but it will always end up in full-blown alcoholism and you will always lose out to the alcohol. There's never one success case in the last hundred years that we know of that's ever done that. So yeah, functioning alcoholics. Now there's a fine line between functioning alcoholics and functioning abusers of alcohol. And what we find is the abusers of alcohol take Mondays off because they've had a hard night the night before. Sure. You know, all them excuses. The alcoholic yeah. will turn up every single time looking good, all looking good, you know, but eventually it will take toll and that invisible line that we cross will take them to chronic. So this family member that I'm talking about that I'm not going to specifically identify, but um, he, I've, I've witnessed this multiple times where he would wake up and he would... His morning routine was like, wake up, turn off your alarm, take a piss, go to the bathroom, start making coffee and pour a pint glass of Jim Beam on the rocks. And I would watch him put down two of those, you know, like before breakfast was over and then he would go drive to work or like, you know, go meet friends for lunch or something. And like you wouldn't if you didn't witness the consumption, yeah. Yeah. you wouldn't know that he specifically abused alcohol, although he was in terrible shape. I mean, he had like the telltale signs of like, yeah. his, like barrel chested and how his gut was formed and everything. And it did lead to him. I, I, I'm speaking out of school here, but from what I understood is that this chronic long-term daily massive alcohol abuse led to brain swelling and organ <laughs> swelling that led to him having uh, in crazy strokes, biting off parts of his, uh, or Caesars, biting off parts of his tongue. He shattered his shoulder just from how hard he was gyrating in bed. And that was the beginning of the end. But it, my question to you is, um, if, if you don't, is it harder to identify the problem and address the problem? If this is a person who, if you don't see the consumption and you're maybe just making guesses off of why they're in such terrible physical shape, um, but their behavior is fine. And they are, you know, I'm, I'm saying functioning in air quotes, but like they can do their job. They can carry conversations. They don't slur their words. They don't get violent. They don't like, yeah. how do you approach that? It's, I feel like it's much easier, although scary when you're dealing with someone who is undeniably out of control. Definitely. But with this family member, I'm just curious about like, how do you approach that? Do you have to get the family involved? Cause I know for a fact, this man would not have admitted that he had a problem period. Yeah. And, and he's the tolerance. He has a high tolerance for years and years of drinking. <clears throat> the other thing is it would go down as brain swelling, not alcoholism, which is that's why the, the figures are nowhere near what it should be. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it's very hard because they're the guys that do this day in, day out, you know? So again, you have to question whether they're an alcoholic or whether they're a binge drinker or whether they just have a high tolerance. Cause remember at the beginning, I said that it's not the quantities that we drink. It's yeah. not the time we drink. Yeah. It's just, you know, that doesn't make you an alcoholic. So in my case, if I was to diagnose, I, I would say, that he abused alcohol was a huge tolerance because yeah. if he didn't, his behavior would change. Sure. You know, but and that guy gets up, he'd be getting up at two o'clock in the morning to drink if he was an alcoholic, but he doesn't. He waits sensibly till six o'clock, let's say, makes the coffee, pours the gym beam. Phenomenal. Fuck, yeah. I wish I could do that every day. Right. Right. You know? But he, of course, long term effects is, uh, you know, your body starts to close down because what you're putting inside your body is a toxin. It's sure. poison to the human body. So over a matter of time, it's going to kill you. So, and this is leading up to what I really want to dive into is that it's basically, it's a, it's a thinking problem, not a drinking problem is that, you know, this did either directly contribute to, or if not is the primary cause of his death. And I know that my family wanted to address this, but it would have required him accepting that he had a problem. But again, because of the functional nature of his alcoholism, um, I'm just curious about like what. If, if I was able to engage you back then when this was happening, like what would you have recommended in approaching this? Because again, his behavior was fine, but undeniably his, his body was shutting down. No one can consume that much of, of alcohol and that frequently uh, and be okay. And he should still be alive today, but he's not. So like, how do you recommend approaching that? Is it more of a, we need to approach this from a, 
health and well-being standpoint? Do we focus on the psychological? Mm -hmm. Do you focus specifically on the drinking? Like, how do you tap into something like that? Well, you can focus on all three, but if the if the person that's uh, drinking every day doesn't want to stop and yeah. he doesn't show any signs, the mortgage is being paid, everyone's driving nice cars, he's turning up every day for work. If he yep. doesn't want to stop, there's nothing you can do. You know, we get it all the time. You know, oh, my husband, he's drinking too much. Can, can you help him? Does he want help? Well, no, he, he says he's, then we can't help him. Okay. You know, you have to come to a state while you're drinking that much and going, I don't want to live like this anymore. But again, functioning alcoholics, they do want to live like that because yeah. they're the, the very few that can get away with it. Now, most, most, I'd say 90% of functioning alcoholics turn out into full-blown alcoholics. Okay. So he was the ex, how old was he? Uh, when he passed, I would say he was 68. Yeah, he, he was, he was going to get away all his life until he, he started to close down. Good luck to yeah. him. I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch him because I'd have a conversation with him. No, I don't want to drink. You know, drink too much. Yep, I know I do. It's my only pleasure in life. Any problems at work? Nope. Ever been arrested? Yeah. Nope. Any DUIs? Nope. Carry on, my good man. Okay. That's my, my thing, too. Sure. So looking at, again, I guess then the other type of, of alcoholic that we're talking about here, uh, two questions. One, at the point that you are seeing someone, are they usually in the neighborhood of hitting bottom? Um, and have they accepted, I guess, three-part question. Are they in the neighborhood of, of bottoming out, hitting rock bottom? Um, have they typically accepted the fact that they have a problem and before they see you, are they of the mindset that this can be a psychological, that, that this can be handled from a, a thinking approach instead of a drinking approach, or is that a huge hurdle for you to get through? The first two, yes, definitely. <clears throat> the last one is, is harder because they, they do come, <clears throat> listen, nobody wants to come to me to sit here because they like my face or my conversation. So by the time people end up, they're done. They usually tried everything, been in treatment centers, and they come here. Um, and it's the mindset. It's the you can change. <clears throat> we can take you to a place psychologically, uh, spiritually, and physically that you've never been before in your life. And you can be a success of whatever you want to do. But <clears throat> it's very pe – people in general don't really like change. So alcoholics hate it. The alcoholic brain hates change. Yeah. You know, it hates not being able to see the future or know what's going to happen. So that, that that's the final – a hurdle is convincing them. See, the bottom line is, is nobody knows how powerful we are. Like you don't know how powerful you are. No, I do because sure. I've been through my work over the last 30 years. Yeah. But, <clears throat> you know, if me and you could swap places right now, your podcast would be higher than Joe Rogan's because you see the power that you have, but we don't yeah. believe it. We go, sure. we kind of do. Oh, I have a good pod part. Like, really? You don't believe you're going to be bigger than him. There's no fucking way you're going to be bigger than him. The, the real deal is you can be. It's mindset. It's all about mindset. You know, how bad you want this deal. So once we give them a glimmer of that, like we'll go to any lengths, man. I, I hired a fucking Irish bar one night in Dallas because this patient of mine is 18 years old, never had a girlfriend, never thinks he's going to get a girlfriend. You know, it's, it's slightly uh, dyslexic, uh, a little bit of Asperger's, but functional. And we yeah. hired a pub. And we stuck it with 12 girls along with other people in the, in the pub. We had 12 girls that we paid in a, in a part of the pub. We closed down and I took him in. And I said, which girl do you like most? And he said, that one over there. So come on, we'll talk to him. He's like, no, 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 I can't move. No, no. Well, she'd been primed that he drives a Mustang. So when we yeah. walked over there and sat down, he was so nervous. And uh, the girl said, I can't stay long. I've got this new Mustang. What? You have a Mustang? So then yeah. she got chatting. Anyway, he's got married and, and uh, has kids and everything now. So Fantastic. very, very powerful. Yeah. Like, who says you can't do it? Who says? You know, we, me and my wife got married seven years ago. We've been married twice each, and it's just a pain in the ass. The second day we're married, a little, <laughs> argument, a little tiny argument. And my wife said, well, I said, I don't like marriage like this. And my wife said, that's just the way marriage goes. And I said, said fucking who? Who's making these rules up? I don't like yeah. these rules. Yeah. I'm going to change yeah. the rules to me. And that's what I do every day. I, I, I live a life beyond my wildest dreams because, first of all, I don't give a shit what you think of me. I'm going to say that again, guys. When you drop that, your life really takes up. I don't give a yeah. shit what you think of me. It doesn't yeah. hurt. I'm not bothered. It doesn't hurt me. And secondly, I have a brand new life that I absolutely adore today. Yeah. I'm powerful. I, I have, I like to go back to the spiritual side. I have a spiritual. I asked my God, I said, hey, give me a platform when I came over to America. My last show, seven weeks ago, 18 million people were listening. I asked for it. You know, again, quantum physics. Fucking yeah. walk over and take the position. Sure. Yeah. For it, or can I play, walk over and take it? 
Yeah. There's another instance as well where this woman was working with chronic alcoholic. We got her through. We got in the interview. She got the job. And she used to be in a board meeting every day. And she said, I'm so scared. And you know, nobody knows me. And I said, ask a question. She said, what do you mean? Ask a question. What question? doesn't make any difference. Ask one. Uh, yeah. Can you tell me how this works or that? Or are we going to do this next week? And within a week, everybody knew her name. And yeah. people were asking her. It's just psychology. It's just sure. a basic human being. But we don't know how powerful we are. So you're, you're really tapping into the entire human experience, but you have a, a specific area of focus. Um, but I, I mean, I'm thinking about things like, uh, like confidence and depression yeah. and body dysmorphia and, <clears throat> and certainly peop, the people being their own worst enemy and doubting themselves. Like I, I think a lot of times, obviously people do grow up in some pretty harrowing uh, circumstances and there can be external factors that have a huge negative adverse impact on your life. But for the most part, yeah, we, we are the ones in our own way and that's super fucking hard to get over. Like, you know, I, I being devil's advocate, I could definitely see someone, especially someone struggling with a problem to the point where they, if they accept the fact that they have a problem, which means they've seen the wreckage, they, they know and understand the consequences, but that's still not enough to get them to stop. Just being devil's advocate. I could totally see some of those people being like, fucking bullshit like bullshit that it's mind over matter bullshit that it's a thinking problem i am a fucking mess and if i don't drink i will explode and it's i am connecting it to the bottle like i'm very curious to know how like how do you even crack that nut initially when you're dealing with someone who's possibly going through the absolute worst chapter of their entire life because that's a lot there i would imagine a lot of people associate with it is the drinking it is the drinking. If I don't drink, like, so how do you get them? How do you yeah. do that? How do you get through that? I tell them my story. First of all, I identify it. I'm about the bottle and touch the bottle. It was, it was all everything went away. You know, it's just like, it's not true. Everything you've been told in life is not true. You know, it's just like, there's better ways of living. And, and, and what people get into, just like the woman in the box is you get into this rut and they go, well, fuck it. That's my life. This is it. This yep. is how it's going to go. Yep. It's bullshit. It's not true. Your self-sabotaging mind is telling you that you'll never be blonde enough, you'll never be thin enough, you'll never be rich enough, and you'll never be fucking tall enough. Yep. That's, how the, that's how the brain works on normal human being. It's not true. You can do anything that you want to in the world. Just put the effort and believe in yourself. Watch yourself dialogue, you know, and, and start. Look, I went to bed last night. I was 19. I woke up. I'm 60. Right, right. No, I said it once. I'll say it again. You know, the time is that quick. What the fuck you got to lose? Yeah, I signed, sure. a, I signed a contract in, in Dallas once for half a, half a floor of a medical building. It was like $2 million. And people were like, oh, my God, you must be, how do you sleep at night? I said, good. What are they going to do? Take the fucking office off me. Well, I'm not, it's, not, it's not the end of the world. You know, dare to dream. Sure. Dare to dream. Like, try that little business. Go for that job you never thought you'd get. Go for it. You know, everyone else yeah. is the same. That's what we don't realize. We think we're all so different. Oh, I'm the only one scared in this room. Everybody's scared. Believe me, yeah, you know, sure. everybody's in the same situation and we think that we're all special because we can't talk or we can't get that job or I'm not edgy. You don't need a fucking college degree. These, you don't need a college degree. Sure. Okay. Yeah. You just don't need one, period. Mm-hmm. Most people I know have got college degrees are false anyway. They've got it off, printed off the internet or something. Nobody cares anymore. It's what you can do today. It's the entrepreneurial uh, blood in your body that that will make businesses. We don't build businesses. Build a fucking empire. Come on, For get sure. up. Let's men, let men stand up and be men. You know, everybody needs leaders. Why isn't it you listening at home right now? I don't. Fucking people are waiting. People are dying at home because you yep. can't get off your fucking ass because you don't think you're good enough to do it. You are good enough. You're not listening to this podcast by mistake. Yep. You're listening because somebody's trying to give you a message. So that's why I tell them. And ninety nine point nine percent of people. You know, they, 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 they believe it and make them believe it. If, if I tell you a lie, you might believe it. If I tell you sure. a lie often enough, you're going to believe it. Hey, but listen, right. if I tell you real often enough, I'm going to start to believe it. Psychology 101, you know, so show me your friends. I'll show you your future. Yep. Surround yourself with them guys that force you to take that next step. If you're on 20 grand a year, you want to earn 40, hang around the guys that earn 40. You know, if you hang around nine depressed people, you will become the number 10. That's how the mind works. And that's how the body be attracted, be, be attracted to success, be, be attracted. The law of attraction, 
Yeah. Oh, that was the biggest bullshit I've ever heard. But it's true. <laughs> yeah. It's freaking. And once you get that key, it's so true. Yeah. You know, when I came off the streets, I, I was washing up at this at this factory, uh, washing stuff that you know people discarded and pots and cups and I, that was my first job, man. That was my first fucking job. Sure. And then I'd sweep the car park and sweep the floor. That was my first job. Yep. You know? Yep. And I'm not saying this to be, to be I'm not saying this guys to be boastful. You've only got to do a research on me and see how much I'm worth. But listen, I have a million dollars in all, in my checking account today. In my checking account, that's not retirement. Wow, that's stupid. Yeah, it's fucking stupid, but you can do it. I, I'm nothing. <laughs> if you think I'm nothing special, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, I'm nothing. Yeah. I'm just a drunk guy who couldn't look after his fucking kids. Yeah, so for sure. come on, anybody can do it, man. It's not why, if not you, who? Sure. Just keep asking so, yourself that question. Very well said. Uh, I, I have definitely personally experienced the the law of attraction, and that basically, I, I like emulating has always been a huge thing for me. So I'm, uh, I, I think you and I share a, a love for music. And a long time ago, I accepted the fact that there will always be someone better than me and substantially better than me. And I came to terms with that and embraced it. I, it doesn't fuck with me. I take uh, encouragement and enthusiasm that if they can do this, if they can hone their skill set and get to this level, that should inspire me, not make me feel uh, inferior. And in the same way, that's how you should feel about the people that you love and surround yourself with. And that, that has very positive impacts. I am curious about, um, when you add the trauma layer on top of that, especially if it's current trauma. And I'd like to give you an example of a, someone I know has struggled with, uh, alcoholism for a long time and it went unchecked. And a lot of it had to do with her being surrounded by enablers and, and, and people who wanted to be enabled. Like they love the fact that she gets blackout drunk because they want to do that too and not feel bad about it. But she was forced to deal with it because she started having uh, like very severe heart problems that led to her getting checked out. And it just became abundantly clear. Like the body doesn't lie. You can lie and say, Oh, I only have two drinks a night or something, but the, your, your, your body tells a different story. So she goes through traditional rehab. And uh, from what I know uh, did well, but, um, and, and went back to her normal life. She lived by herself. That was a big concern for her for a while is that she wouldn't be able to live alone without giving into the temptation. She's holding a job. She's going back to school. But um, in the last year, she was raped. And it has completely undone everything. And she has gone back to um, maybe worse drinking than before. And she knows it's a problem. Um, we've talked about it and I'm just, I don't even know how to like approach the conversation with her because I don't know if she should be going back to treatment or because of this whole new element that's there that is triggering, um, or at least is associated with, or is in tandem with this urge to, to relapse. Like, I, I guess the question is, do you believe in traditional rehab? Do you think that when you layer the self doubt with trauma, current trauma, um, is there a, a different path that needs to be taken? And how would you approach that kind of scenario? The 90% of the treatments out there are bullshit. Uh, they'll take the same patient in five or six times for $30,000 a month, keep relapsing, keep relapsing, keep relapsing. So your choice of rehab <clears throat> treatment, it's got to be real careful. There's only a bunch of us know what they're doing. The rest want new money. It's a business. If sick people stop going in, they, they, they've got bankrupt. So you've got to be careful with that. Rape is a very, very uh, deep subjects and wounding uh things that happen to you that that needs that needs a special kind of uh, trauma yeah. uh, specialist to take that away but yeah it's just i mean I, I i'm approaching it because if i was approaching it first of all i don't believe in treatment i think everybody hence our telehealth we all what's all we do is telehealth you should recover in your own room yeah. on your own uh, environment in your own house whatever it is um and be careful who you hang around but definitely, definitely recovering the old house and just walking through that. I mean, yeah, I can see she's doing really well. Uh, but listen, here's the deal. Let's let's just forget the rake a second. Yeah. Let's go back to the enabling and family. Yeah. I don't care who you are or what kind of life you're from. There's always at least one person in your family that does not want you to succeed. Because if you do, then the spotlight then will shine on them. Sure. So there's one person in the family want to keep you sick. All close, really close friends. Uh, they need you to be sick. Her wives often need husbands to be sick because they have that. I want to look after him. I'm doing fine. The rescuer kind of 
of deal. Uh, yes. I know that was my first wife. Uh, and once I got sober, you know, it was, she didn't want to speak. She never spoke to me again. So yeah, it's uh, it's, it's a bunch of things. It really is. Uh, but poor girl, man. Damn. It's, How it's so, she? Uh, she is 32. Oh my God. It's horrible. <laughs> it's, re- it's really brutal. And um, I, 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 I guess this, so this is, this is where my mind is that is like exactly what you said. Like you want to avoid the pitfalls of, of, you know, treatment, rehab, whatever, like, what do you recommend? Like, how do these people, especially in the, in the throes of, of this trauma and misery, like what is the right way to be vetting um, the services that you're considering? Because I know me, I would just want to do the lowest hanging fruit, easiest, like whatever. It's the closest thing to my house or like, and that's fucking hard to, to like be more calculated when you're just like, I am a mess. I don't want to live. I don't want to wake up. Like I, how do you recommend that people suffering with this or the the loving people in their network approach vetting uh, to determine what's going to be the right resource for them? Uh, well, the first thing, one of the things we do and nobody else in the world does this is we offer a money back guarantee. If you drink or go depressed again, we'll, we'll refund your money. Never happened yet. Uh, but yeah, you have to vet them, ask them questions. You know, if my daughter, if my friend comes in here, What's your success rate? And they might say, "Oh, it's seventy percent." Can I? Can you back that up? And if if I if, if it doesn't work, can I have my money back? Oh no, you, you no, drop that guy, sure. go somewhere else. And I know that when we take if we if we took her on, we do a night day program, one hour a day in your own environment. Uh, I would match her with somebody. It'll be a female, and I, I don't mean to be coarse by this guy, so please forgive me. But I'm just giving you it real. It will be a, one of my female counselors who's been raped in the past. That's just the way it is. And again, with the alcoholic, one against one, you can come out of this. We can get her out of this and she can leave an amazing life because that that victim thing, and it's horrible and it's not your fault, but our mind goes there after a period of time. Like, oh my God, it's horrible. It's horrible. That bastard, we don't do it, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, because nobody's listening or we don't get help, yeah. we start looking at ourselves and go, oh my God, was I to blame? Once we do that, you're, you're on a dark spiral down. Yeah. And anything can happen. So dialogue, help, professional people, get it back to normal. Like we we we've hardly ever failed. It's when we're, we're I I if somebody when when people relapse here, which is very seldom, I I lose sleep overnight. It's like I don't give a fuck what I have to do. You're staying sober and having a great life. Yeah. End of story. For sure. So and it, and it's all about once once somebody's in suffering, in pain, and at that point where they can't come out of that dip of depression or manic, or suicidal. Once you see another human being that's been through you, it gives you hope. And that's what we're all about. It's just about hope, you know? Uh, I know me and Freddie Mercury used to have some really cool chats after session, and he was, he was a great philosopher. We'd talk about life and some of the stuff he told me, I hold dear to my heart today because I could identify him. And he was talking about being gay, and I was talking about not fitting in at school, and I was be the last to pick for the football team, and all that stuff. And that's the, that's the stuff they need. The actual act, um, they have no control over, but they, sure. they think they do and they don't, man. I mean, it's, it's horrible, really horrible. I'm, I'm curious with the, given the, like what we were discussing about the law of attraction and given your musical background, um, do you, in, in retrospect, do you think it was dangerous for you to be spending time with, uh, professional musicians and rock stars who are can can very frequently be um enablers or or living a similar problematic lifestyle uh like was that problematic for you and do you if it was do you think that there could have been a way of approaching it in a in a safe way or do you really just have to make that calculated decision like listen this is the stove is hot don't touch the stove i think if i wouldn't have been at abbey road and around all the musicians and backstage and I actually stepped on stage with Queen one day at, at Main Road, Manchester Football Stadium. Awesome. Uh, the, the, first guitar, the second guitarist was sick. Third guitarist was not fit. He couldn't play the full, so I went on for Radio Gaga. It was phenomenal. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, if, if it wasn't for them days, I'm not too sure whether I would have ended up homeless, whether oh. it would have caught me before or I would have got help before. But you get this delusion thing that nobody can touch you. You know, when you're, when you're going to the Savoy Hotel with Elton John, into his penthouse suite, you think that's it. There's nothing can touch me. I'm, I'm Iron Man. You know, it's unbelievable. Yep. Um, but so I don't. I'll never know about that. But I think I would have. I would have taken this because that that kicked off my my uh, speed and cocaine. Never touched heroin. Never injected. 
but it took off that. So what I would do is I would try and come off alcohol and go on cocaine for a, a week and think I'm sober. Then I go back to alcohol because of my comfort blanket. So yeah, very hard to say, but I think looking back, the time I had was amazing. So I wouldn't swap it for nothing, but the, the alcohol and drug abuse while I was there uh, was horrendous. And how I got through college, I paid a lot of people off. I paid a lot of people to do work for me. Sure. You know, it was just, it was a disgrace. I was a disgrace, but I was a fucking great bass player because I was playing from the age of five or six. And often they'd see me in the house and I would always wear my bass round when I was eating dinner. I used to drive my mom crazy. Breakfast and have the bass drama. I mean, I was just playing it 24 hours a day. So yeah. when I went to Abbey Road and there's like 20 other guys in the 20s and 30s seasoned bass playing job that would look around at me and laugh. I walked in and blew them away because I'm an alcoholic. Sure. I fucking do something or I don't. There's no half measures for me. You know, it's like I'm the best addictionologist in the world. Well, is it, can you be fourth best? Fuck no. Why would I? He said that sure. all or nothing. And that's been most of my traits over my life. Because when I came here, people were like, you want to be on TV? You want to be a millionaire? And put a book out there? It's impossible. You're fucking English. You <laughs> can't even do that. For thousands of years, they've not been able to do that. Check, check, and check, and check. Yeah, you man. Because that's the mind I have. It's like, I love that. Right enough. You know, an old, an old guy once said to me, I said, I want to do all these things in life. And he turned to me and looked me in the eye and said, how fucking bad do you want it? And it's always stuck with me. And I say the same to my guys there. How fucking bad do you want this? I want it, Rob. I can feel it. I can taste it. Well, stop fucking around and walk over and take that fucking position for God's sake. Enough already. There's yeah. people out there dying waiting for you to lead. It's yeah. not about you. It's about the power that we have. Every single person listening to this in the world, it's about the power that we have and how we can turn that around for the benefit of other people. You sure. know, if you have a God in your life or a spiritual guy, or whatever, he wants to give us so much, but we ask for so little. Oh, if I can just pay the rent this month. Fuck that. You want to buy the house? Ask him to buy the house. Ask someone to give you a house. You'll get it. I always remember the, the guy on, the, on Family Fortunes, the black guy. Can't remember his name right now. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah so he, uh, Steve Harvey, he tells, he tells a story in between. Every time they, they stop filming in between sets, he tells the audience like a nice story. And he talks about uh, being broke and his mom was being thrown out of rented property time and time and time again. So one of his big ambitions when he started being a comedian on the road is he wanted, uh, he wanted to be famous. So he got a little bit famous and he wanted 10 acres of land. So nobody could ever throw him off his property again. Yeah. So he asked God for it. He said, I want 20 acres of land. And uh, by some freak thing, like you went to see this land, it was too expensive. This other guy needed a quick sale and got like 20 acres for the same as 10. It was crazy, but it happened. And his, his higher power, God, spiritual universe. So he said to him, he said, hey, God, thank you for the, the 20 acres. Um, I know two guys in prison that are never going to get out. Can I have their 20 acres? And um, for some crazy stuff, sick, he owns 400 acres now, or 4,000 acres or something, because yeah. he kept asking for this shit and believed he'd get it. Yeah. And that, that again, is what life's all about. You know, it's just like, you don't need a college degree to be a millionaire. In yeah. fact, in fact, Tesla, was it Tesla thing? I can't remember. They won't take you if you've got a college degree. You don't need a college degree to get that job. Yeah. Yeah. You know, entrepreneurs love it. You can make... Yeah. If you've got savvy about computers and anything, you can make you can make five grand a month easy. You know, sure. that's how that you'll never get a better time in the world to, to make that break to start to be somebody. Never. This is it, guys. Yeah. That 2022 is it. If you don't yeah. make a move 2022, fuck it. Start drinking, start taking drugs, fall out of life. Because <laughs> this is it. You've never yeah. had so many opportunities in all your life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to explore the concept and the importance of God with you. Um, I Personally, identify as like I would. I would actually call myself like a staunch atheist. Uh, I take no joy in um, uh, cutting down other people's uh, faith or religion. I mean, the only time I have an opinion on it is when it's tied to something that is like objectively horrific. Yeah. Um, like uh, the way that the LGBT community is treated quite frequently uh, from from that community. But um, in general, uh, do you ever listen to Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard? I have. Yeah, I think I have. Yeah. So he openly talks about his uh, recovery and he has in the four years he's been doing the show, he actually relapsed and he, he talks about everything. He talks about how it's rooted in trauma, how he was molested as a kid. Uh, he, he, I love his vulnerability and I love how open he is about it. And these are like really sensitive 
stories, including the bridges he burned and the people he fucked with and the relationships he destroyed. And I feel like other people hearing that, even just hearing it, period, let alone knowing that there can be a very successful, fulfilling, happy life on the other side is really important. And that's a huge public service. So I, I love the show for that reason. Um, one thing he specifically talks about is that he's gone through the 12 steps and he very frequently talks about the giving, I believe the, the term is giving yourself up to a higher power, uh, is one of the, one of the 12 steps. And he also identifies as an atheist and he talks about how he like positions this in his mind in terms of like really focusing on the higher power or just accepting the fact that he doesn't have control over everything, but it's, but he still has this pretty firm line in the sand in terms of like, it, the concept of God, a grand creator, someone in heaven, whatever. I'm curious what your thoughts are on um, the importance of the the concept and the construct of God uh, or a higher power. Like, do you feel like having a specific concept of like a Christian Lord is a more fundamental resource for like Steve Harvey's approach, or can it be a more ethereal, philosophical? Uh, existential approach to the universe. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think. I don't. I don't believe in. Uh, you know, religion. I, I don't think it, it's man-made. It's caused more wars than anything else in the world. Yeah. You know, but I do believe that there's somebody who's been looking after me. So what we say here is, you know, religion. And for those people who don't want to go to hell, they're scared. Spirituality. You've probably heard it. For those guys that already been to hell but they don't want to go back. So yeah. no, we don't. I don't go to church. No, I don't carry a cross around my neck. You know, I'm not going to pass a Bible. I just, I, I know there's some look after. And in my world, a spiritual connection is very important for my success and, and my, you know, continued sobriety. So I do have this. There's 26,000 gods, you know. I mean, canal people, oh, if you believe in God, it's got to be like, you know, the Christian God. Says who? There's no hard rules here, guys. I know sure. someone's looking after me. Might be my Uncle Bob. I don't know. But I, I call it God, but it's, it's not a traditional, you know, it's just... So many things have happened in my life <clears throat> yeah. that I, I've got to I've got to look somewhere else. Some co uh, coincidence, I just have to. So now you don't have to go down that path. You know, I believe I, that past people looking after us. I, something it is all the time. Um, so yeah, people get hung over with this. You know, this powerful like, you know, Catholic or you know, God. I don't believe it. I don't believe True. it at all. I believe that uh, why are these people getting killed, why are children dying, uh, you know, cancer in children, what the fuck's that all about? Yeah. You know, and you can go on down that route. So I do believe there is is my God, my spiritual God that looks after me. And uh, I depend on, uh, you know, a, a lot, but each to his own. I mean, it's like the mass thing. It's like, you know, it's like in Texas, Greg yeah. Abbott, masks off like fucking six months ago. Yeah. wasn't having any of that. It's like, it's your choice. It's been open carry in Texas. You don't need a license. don't need shit. You can stick a gun on your head and walk down the street. It's your choice. I love Texas. I love Texas for a couple of reasons. You can turn red. You can turn right on a red light. How fucking, it's genius. You know, and the second is you can carry a gun. Yeah. You know, if someone comes in as you can shoot them dead. Cool. Good job. Let's move on. Just sure. gives you that peace of mind. So sure. I think it's the same thing with the spiritual connection is if you find one, it's amazing. But if you don't and you're an atheist, it's amazing. Okay. But do you encourage your, you're, you're dealing with someone, it's a, a relatively new patient and they're just looking for answers and they're clearly looking to you for answers, but then they also want to know like, like, is it medication? Is it, you know, yeah. cessation therapy? Do I need to lock myself in a fucking room? And, and do I need this spiritual element in my life specifically for people who don't? Do you provide uh, guidance or insight there in terms of yes. like, this is a good element to have in your life. And yes. how do you find that? Definitely. Of? You know, just, I, I always saw on the, on the uh, people who passed away, you know, yeah. your mom's died. You're not in a short way. The best for me was she's probably guiding you now. I mean, we just don't know, you know, I never give someone a Bible and go, Hey, this is your garden. If you don't believe in this, then I can't work with you. I mean, there's so many directions that we go in, but it's silly. I mean, that big book, I love the big book, but it says you can choose a God as you understand him with a capital H. So it has to be because some sort of God, yeah. like it's 26,000, fucking pick one. You yeah. know? Uh, so it, it's like people get hung over it and really heads up over it. It's like, it's not a big fucking deal. Yeah. You know, someone has to take the compulsion away to drink and it can't be me. And no human power can help me because the book said that we're in place beyond human aid. So what the hell are we going to do? Believe in something. I don't give a fuck what it is. Believe in it because someone's saving your ass right now. That's how we start that conversation. And it ain't a big deal. You know, nobody needs to know. 
Yeah. Nobody knows my beliefs. And, well, I tell them because I'm a big mouth and <laughs> you know, I speak all over the place, but they're normal person. Yeah. They don't normally need to know shit. Yeah. Say a little prayer, say thank you to Uncle Billy. And, you know, uh, it's just amazing. Just just find something outside yourself. And it's always good to get out, out of self because you can see clearly. And, sure. try, and there's loads of mind things you can try. Get up in the morning. Anybody listens to this, try this tomorrow. I got $100 somewhere to give you if you don't work. Okay. Get up tomorrow morning, look in the mirror, and say as enthusiastic as you can, today is going to be a great fucking day. If you have a bad day, contact me. I'll send you $100. It's impossible. I love it. I think it's, I think it's great. It's like, it's like manifesting, right? Like it's, it's, yes. you're putting that out in the world and you're driving that bus and yeah, for sure. So there, uh, there's an amazing movie called I Feel Pretty. And if guys, you haven't seen it and you're looking for this, you know, how the mind can work, you need to watch that because basically what it's about is a, an overweight girl who wants to dream, wants to, the job at the model agency on reception, but she can't get it because you know wants a boyfriend. But she's and she's uh, Amy Amy Schumer. Yes. Okay. okay. Yeah, she falls yeah. in a gym, bangs her head, and she gets up yeah. and she looks in the mirror and she's this skinny girl, beautiful girl. And then she starts going for that. She got confidence to go for that boyfriend. Then she goes for that job at that model agency, and don't for everyone else sees her like this, yeah. the big girl. But she sees herself as being thin, and she gets that job, and she gets that boyfriend. You know, and only yeah. because she thought she was thin. Can you imagine the powerful mind if you thought you were worth it, how far you could go in this world? That's Absolutely. I remember that movie. I remember hearing Amy talk about how that movie was getting shit on because like people were taking too simplistic of an approach to it of yeah. just like, oh, well, if you believe you're skinny, then the world will like you more. And it was like, no, it was it was I, I completely. That's a great example because it's you can look at it just as like a fun comedy, but like it yeah. really does instill the power of the mind and your life being successful and happy always starts with you because yeah. you're going to be the first person to get in your way. And yeah, I, th I thought that that had had a great message. Um, I want to be that's not going to get that job, and that's you. There's only one person that's yeah. not going to ask that girl. You know, you miss every shot that you don't take. So fuck sure. it, take it. Take you know, believe in yourself. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, then we will wrap this up. I, I absolutely love talking to you. I'd love to pick your brain more about about your musical days. I really do appreciate uh, you taking the time. How can people? Um, get in contact with you and get your materials, get your guidance. Uh, what's, what's the best way to reach out to you? Any search engine, uh, Dr. Rob Kelly, the first five pages are all about me and where I am, what I'm doing, all the social media, Dr. Rob Kelly, uh, the website, robkelly.com. I spell my name with two B's. So R O B B K E L L Y.com brand new website up today. Nice. So you'll see that there is a book on there that I'd like everyone to buy. And I'll tell you the reason why. I don't see a dime off that book, nor I will ever see a dime off that book. All the proceeds, not the profits. All the profits go to charity. There, by the time you bastards have taken all the money, there's ten dollars <laughs> going to charity. All the proceeds, yeah. it's nine dollars, yeah. go back out to the community, the people that are struggling. So, if you can buy it from there or Walmart, please buy it. Uh, if you don't like it, text me. I'll refund your money. You can keep yeah. the book. Yeah. It's all about helping other people. And uh, yeah, just uh, text me, message me. You know, whatever you got to do. Let's. Uh, Let's talk, guys. Dialogue. What, Remember, I what book is that? You might see me on TV. You might see me, you know, uh, all sort of. I'm the guy from Moss Side in Manchester. That's Beirut with lights back in Manchester. Who's sure. a struggling alcoholic who sold his alcohol for kids. I'm always stood in the trenches. I'm no bigger than I should be. I just have a platform that I can spread the message more. So if you need my help for anything, 214-600-0210 is my personal cell phone number it's not my secretary's or my desk or my assistant you'll get through to me so if you if i'm not there leave a voicemail or text me i will get back to you let's walk through this together it's all about giving back guys i really really appreciate that i appreciate you taking the time but i also appreciate as someone who has many loved ones in my life that struggle with this tremendously in a, in a variety of different ways i appreciate you being so vocal about it and taking fresh realistic no bullshit <laughs> approaches to um, addressing and solving and, and continuing to deal with uh, uh, something that really does plague our society and it, is, and it can be a, a very harrowing part of the human experience. So thank you so much for what you do. I, I really appreciate it. I want to leave it. you with this. So the guys listening at home, I want to leave you with this. Think about this for a second. So Gordon Ramsay, this chef off TV, he's a good friend of mine, was sat in his kitchen one day and he's cooking up something for us. And uh, he turned around to me and I was at the table, he's at the, in the kitchen. He said, hey, Rob, do you know why I'm the best chef in the world? And I said, because you can cook real well? He said, fuck no, because I tell everybody I am. 
think about that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Dr. Rob, thank you so much. You're, you're a fascinating character. Uh, I, I can't wait to get to know more about you. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to the Mind Mill Podcast with Dave Perry. All of the things that have been mentioned on the show will be in the show notes, including uh, websites and phone numbers and, and anything like that. Uh, please, uh, if, if you're even considering... Um, you know, reaching out to someone, please do it. Uh, there's no shame in it. In fact, it's it's the gateway to a much, much better, happier life for you and your loved ones. And again, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on your wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow on social, wherever you use social. And again, Dr. Rob, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate you, it. Good to right, speak to you, Dave. All right, have bye a good bye. one. Bye-bye.